0: Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the PapaCast. Um, today is uh, Friday, July sixteenth, twenty twenty-one. Um, today again, we have a um, another guest who we've recently had on, and uh, regarding Bitcoin, his name is Stephen Jordan. He's our local Bitcoin and digital currency expert.
1: How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing well. Thanks, Mark. How are Good. you?
0: Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on again. I know it was. Uh, on short notice, but since the last time we spoke, there's been a tremendous amount of news regarding Bitcoin mm-hmm. um, and digital currency. So, and before we get started, just a plug, my name is Mark Papa. I am the Chief Investment Officer of Financial Resources Group, LLC. Uh, we are a registered investment advisor. Financial planning and investment advisory services are offered through Financial Resources Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This is also not an offer to buy or sell securities, or an endorsement of digital currency, uh, please seek uh, either my advice or the advice of a financial professional to determine um, if such in investments, or any investment for that matter, uh, the proper suitability. So, Steve, welcome back. How are you doing today?
1: I'm great. I'm great. Uh, happy Friday. we got a beautiful day outside after all this rain we've had, so it's, exactly. a, it's a nice change.
0: It sure is. It's a def- definitely, uh, I won't be complaining about the heat anymore. Yes. Especially after a week of rain and... Uh, I get my suntan back. So. Yeah. so welcome aboard. So Steve, you, you know you really put a um, you know a lot of information here uh, regarding uh, what's actually going on with Bitcoin, and we're mm-hmm. still getting questions about, gee, when's Bitcoin going to go back up? Oh, you know this is a great buying opportunity here. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can uh, help us, uh, the audience, shed some light. Um, as to uh what's happening in the marketplace in digital currency mm-hmm. and uh you know again um you know kind of give us an update since again it really was only a few months ago, and there's just been a a sea change quake of news that is uh, pouring out mm-hmm. so why don't we get started and uh I guess we could get started um you know on the more uh you know on on what you want to talk about
1: yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah, there's, there's always a lot going on in this space. Sometimes it feels like, uh, you know, you can put five or ten years into a single year. And I think that's the pace of change that we're seeing as, as a result of the digital age that we're transitioning towards. You know, we went from the agricultural age to the industrial age. and Now we're shifting towards the information or the digital age. So the pace of change is accelerating. And, you know, that's, that's evident in the Bitcoin space. And you know, just one thing I want to start off with: uh, spending the last couple of years learning about Bitcoin. You know, it's really it's been the greatest teacher I've ever had for self-learning, and it's taken me down many paths. So to get to wrap your head around Bitcoin, you know, we've gone down economics and money, uh, game theory, politics, right. trading and investing, open-source software, computer science, digital and physical security history and philosophy i mean that, and that's not even everything so there's a lot of pieces to this and then i think about you know how many people actually understand how bitcoin works what it is and then how many people understand what the traditional fiat system is how yeah. many people know what what you know how the us dollar works
0: well it's a great point you bring up because just yesterday again when we met with our uh, one of our uh, investment advisory committee for a portfolio quarterly portfolio review Um, And I won't name names, but what did come up in conversation of even how inept Congress is relative to things like monetary policy or understanding even the very basics of economics. Mm -hmm. And I would say it's probably less than one or two (laughs) percent. I don't know the number, but I would say most people, unless they're in the financial industry and, you know, they're probably not going to understand, you know, most Mm -hmm. of that stuff, especially especially monetary policy or fiat currencies or any of that well
1: this is the problem when you have lawyers running the system they're all lawyers
0: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) i mean lawyers are smart people and we need them to get certain things done but at the same time they're also the ones who write the laws and regulate Mm -hmm. um the products and Mm -hmm. you know there Mm -hmm. are some of them who are uh i'd say highly competent and the others uh you know somebody who studied english and is a trial attorney Mm -hmm. um probably isn't going to be your best uh your best uh you know get the best grab on economics. So I right. agree with you hundred percent right. there.
1: Right. Well, so speaking of laws, um, you know, I think the, the biggest piece of news in my history during Bitcoin has been recently the country of El Salvador became the first country in the world to declare Bitcoin as legal tender currency. Yeah. So they are on the U S dollar system. They've been uh, you know, using the US dollar system since 2001. They're adopting Bitcoin, so they're gonna have the US dollar and Bitcoin. Wow. So a couple years ago um, in El Zante, El Salvador, they started a project called Bitcoin Beach, which it's a poor community in El Salvador and they created this closed Bitcoin ecosystem and it was a test run. And it ended up being you know, wildly successful and they were able to leverage that test pilot to, you know, roll out across the country. Uh-huh. That's 63 out of 84 congressmen approved of the bill, which was just two pages long. Wow. Compare that to the how long are the laws, you know, passed in the U.S. Um, and so El Salvador, you look at this country, you know, 20 to 25 percent of their GDP is driven by remittance payments. Primarily from the U.S.
0: So, what's a remit rem, for the audience? Uh, sure. And for my own advocate, for my sure. own knowledge, but just so you know, I knew nothing about Bitcoin before I met you. I, very little. Yeah. And I, I just wanted to let you know I appreciate you also create helping me create that educational snowball in learning about digital currency because, um, you know. But why don't we talk about remit remittance, remittance payments and so we can define that
1: for the audience a so little understand. Sure. Sure. So. Remittance payments. Uh, there are six million citizens in El Salvador. There are there you know there's a large contingency of El Salvadorian population living in the U.S. and other developed countries. They make money in the in the U.S. and they're sending money back to their family oh, in El Salvador. Okay. okay, that makes sense. So there's so a quarter of their economy is money coming from places like the U.S. back to family and friends in oh, El Salvador. It's it hard to explain a lot. Okay. So looking at this current system, during that process, using Western Union and other money changers, roughly 20 to 50% gets lost. The cost of those transfers are 20 to 50% of the payment. So you're sending $100 back to your family they might end up with fifty or eighty dollars at the end of the day.
0: Mm-hmm. And that be due to capital controls by the government, along with fees and other things, and corruption, or
1: all of the above. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of middlemen, a lot of gatekeepers in the international monetary, you know, especially going from currency to currency. And so there's a lot of middlemen that have you know run run this game for a long time. And so. Interesting. Okay. You know, it also, like for a lot of these people, they have to take a bus. It might take a whole day to leave your village, get on a bus, go to town, pick up the money. Right. Where it's also dangerous because, you know, criminals know that you have to go into this place and you're coming out with money.
0: Interesting. So
1: it's very inefficient. It's very costly and it's dangerous. Yeah. Follow that with 70% of residents in El Salvador do not have a bank account or credit card. So 70% of the population is unbanked. Wow. Bitcoin fixes that. It, gives every, it allows everyone to be their own bank, to essentially a private bank. Interesting. And so, you know, to, to actually execute this, El Salvador is leveraging the Bitcoin Lightning Network. The Lightning Network is a layer two technology which is built on top of the Bitcoin base chain. Which is layer one. And this allows them, you know, the lightning transactions are essentially instantaneous settlement, practically zero dollars in cost, so it's free and fast. This is how Bitcoin solves for buying coffee.
0: Right. And that'll speed up the velocity of money, transactions, and efficiency. Yeah. For yeah. for the economy.
1: Correct, correct. And if you don't have a bank account. Like this allows you to store money to store value in a digital format if you don't have a bank account you 're just holding on to paper dollars which are going down to value. This allows you to to opt out of that system interesting
0: yeah, that makes sense, so that that sounds like a very efficient now a lot of people are calling this this kind of, are just ultimately waiting for this experiment to fail mm-hmm. and what do you what do you think do you, what do you where do you
1: in El salvador yeah I think that you know, the, the president of El Salvador, uh, Bukele, he's, he's a younger fella. Very popular, forward thinking, going where the puck is going. He is invested in this. The whole country is invested in this because we're all talking about El Salvador now. You know, historically mm-hmm. you talked about El Salvador in the context of immigration to the U.S. or crime or gangs and murder. Mm-hmm. Now they're fixing that side. He's tackling the the crime and the corruption and everything else, but also providing people hope. They're the first in the world. They've never been the first in the world in anything. And they're the pioneers in this, you know, digital revolution. So I think they have a lot of skin in the game. I think that Bitcoiners around the world are rooting for them to succeed and and devoting time and resources to ensure that this project succeeds. For example, company, LN Strike, run by Jack Mahlers, they worked hand in hand with the government to roll this law out and they're developing a free bitcoin wallet for the government so anybody in el salvador if you don't have a bitcoin wallet you don't know what you're doing you can download one for free via the government you can also in el salvador use any bitcoin wallet of your choice they're not forcing you to use the government they're just saying hey here's this one if you want it but you can use anything you'd like and the government is providing30 dollars of free Bitcoin to every citizen who downloads the government wallet. Wow, that's interesting. Gee, it's almost like trying to get the vaccine <laughs> yeah, interesting similar. Well that should create a, an
0: incentive for an economy where people probably you know, make dollars a day, not you know dollars a week, correct you know, or uh, you know. so that's interesting. That's yeah. really cool.
1: And you know El Salvador, they have uh, significant geothermal energy um, generation so the day after they announced that this law is going to be passed and whatever the president reaches out to the head of the state-owned energy company and the next day they launched volcano mining for Bitcoin so they're using the natural energy from the earth the pressure and the heat created by this volcano releasing that to create energy to mine Bitcoin
0: that's really interesting that's uh, that's awesome oh what a great it's good to see that
1: they're actually, someone's actually using their brain. And they're going to use yeah. that. They're going to use it. Very that. smart. Absolutely. It's genius. And they're going to use that to fund development of schools, bridges, roads, hospitals. And it's going to say, paid for by the Bitcoin fund. Interesting. So it's, it's wow. all getting recycled back in, you know? So there's a lot of, you know, momentum there, a lot of great stuff going on. And, uh, you know, we look at adoption around the world and... The biggest thing for me is that there are only 21 million Bitcoin that's enforced by all the holders of Bitcoin, the miners, everybody involved. And it's verified. Anybody can download a Bitcoin node, go on the network and prove that it's, there's 21 million. Mm-hmm. That's, so that's the value proposition of Bitcoin.
0: Right. right? That's never going to change. Well, that's well, never going to change. Help.
1: And right. this is actually the first time we've ever had. Provable scarcity. Gold is scarce, but it's not capped. It's not a hard cap. You know, you can't, even with gold, you you have no idea how much gold there really is around the world, because it's then, physical.
0: Yeah, and then the ability to mine the gold. There, there could be gold there, but it's not mineable, mm-hmm. or it's too costly to mine, or it's not environmentally friendly, or whatever the case may be. Um, that's really interesting. And I'm going back to the um, limited supply, there was news the other day, that some people feel uh, there was like $26 million in Bitcoin unlocked, uh, whether it was a lost wallet or, or something of the net, that nature that came out in the news. Mm-hmm. And some people were speculating that was Satoshi himself.
1: Mm.
0: Thought that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, we don't really know who, who it is, right? I mean, it's a pseudonymous um, yeah, you know, blockchain. A good,
0: and that's a good thing, right? Because yeah. we have privacy as well. Correct. So, Correct. so um, now you mentioned um, here there's also something about the book of the sovereign individual and nation states will start competing yep. with each other for talent in capital at the individual level mm-hmm. versus corporations historically.
1: Yeah. So just recently read this book, The Sovereign Individual, written in the late 90s, explaining the societal impact of the transition from the industrial age to the digital age and what that will entail. And they actually predicted something like Bitcoin in the late 90s.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. yeah especially with technology, you know, it's new to us. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, all it really is, is it's a, a compounding effect. Somebody developed a new technology based on research someone else has done in the past. It's like any, anything new. Correct. Um, and it's just really interesting. And then if you uh, look into history, uh, when they actually started researching, um, a lot of the information we have today on genetics was done in like the 60s and 70s, -hmm. or even, you know, and they've been doing this for a long time, just that it's now finally becoming commercialized, Mm -hmm.
1: you know? And now we have- Thanks
0: to technology, by the way. Without technology, it wouldn't be able to be techno.
1: Right, I mean, you could have the data for anything, but if you don't know how to interpret or analyze or leverage the data, what's the point? You know, you have to intelligently use the data.
0: And now there's companies that do that, Planeteer is one of them, they just, yeah.
1: Interesting. But, you know, so on this point from the sovereign individual, we're seeing the weight of nation states, the size of governments, how much they're spending, how much they're taxing. They're very heavy. And we're seeing these cracks in the foundation, in the monetary system, at the political level, at societal level. We're seeing, you know, the collapse of the institutions. The trust is disintegrated sure has. and what happens when a country like El Salvador says move to El Salvador if you invest three Bitcoin you get automatic citizenship investing three Bitcoin could also mean purchasing a home so you purchase a home worth at least three Bitcoin. so call it a hundred grand mm-hmm. you get citizenship no property taxes they don't have property taxes. And because of the new legislation, there's no capital gains tax on your Bitcoin. Wow. Because it's a currency. You don't get, there's no capital gains tax on your US dollars just because they appreciate versus the yen. You don't pay a capital gains tax on that because it's right. a currency. Right. We don't buy and sell. So, what happens when these nation states, especially at the smaller, you know, developing level, are competing and they say, what do we have to lose? You know, let's, let's compete for talent. Let's compete for capital, for investors. To Let's become a destination versus the U.S., which is coordinating with 10 of the other largest, you know, developed countries to coordinate tax increases on everybody. It's yeah, it's
0: interesting. They're incentivizing citizens versus just incentivizing the government as well. Mm-hmm. The government is actually empowering people. And that, that usually does have a good outcome if it can last, right? If it mm-hmm. lasts politically, then it, it will be a very, very positive development uh, for South America. And as you looked at our portfolio uh, that I just showed you before, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we have a very, very small, maybe less than 1% of our our business is uh, invested in South America just Mm -hmm. because it's not um, as investable as some of the other asset classes. Sure, sure. And hopefully that changes.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, this... We've seen how Central and South America has fared over the last couple decades. And they are incentivized to try something new because it all hasn't worked out. I mean, look at the... There's crises in all over Central America. Argentina, they have a collapsing currency for, what, the fourth time in the last 100 years? Yeah. You know? Yeah, right. Bad 60% habits. inflation in Argentina.
0: Yeah, they're they are, uh, they're addicted to getting bailed out. Yeah. Uh, and at some point, you, you almost have to say... Um, you know, again, eventually, you you know, once bitten, twice shy. I mean, you're right, four times. You might as well just expect every 20 years for Argentina to their um, dollar to collapse, basically.
1: Well, and they, Argentina launched a hundred year bond a couple of years ago at, I don't remember the interest rate, but let's call it 6% or 5%. I mean, what are the odds that Argentina defaults over a hundred year period? Much higher than five or 6%.
0: Oh, absolutely. Washington, D.C. issued a non-callable 100-year bond at 4% uh, for their sewer system, Mm. 100-year. Pension funds love it. Mm -hmm. They love it. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, you get extra yield, you know? Yeah, and then the other issue is a lot of sovereign um, municipalities, um, unfortunately, they can go bankrupt, but it's a different ballgame when you try and um, lean their assets. So one of the issues we had was Hartford when I was on the water company board wanted to go bankrupt, or might, were, were, they got bailed out, mm-hmm. but could potentially go bankrupt, and then all the citizens who, uh, the member towns of the water company would have had to pay their share if Hartford fla- if failed. Mm-hmm. Hartford made half the payment, the other half we were very worried about. And I said, well, why don't we just put a lien on City Hall and their assets? And they said, we could do that. The problem is, is that it gets called back, it reverts back to the city in, the, in a bankruptcy. So you can't really lean their assets. So that's pretty interesting. That's <laughs> so And, I thought, you might, and I thought, as a lender, you might find that to be interesting. That's, that's I mean, really Now you wonder why, yeah. because there's absolutely very little accountability uh, when it comes to governments, and mm-hmm. that's why I think Bitcoin's going to be so successful. Is the accountability isn't there, um, and then you know the whole buyer beware caveat emptor issue, and then you also have moral hazard. And moral hazard certainly for Ar- in Argentina's case, or any government for that matter. Uh, you know, the city in New York went bankrupt in the 70s, they mm-hmm. may go bankrupt again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where, where is, uh, you know, where is the accountability? So it's a very good point that you bring up.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, and I think that in turn, another part of accountability is Bitcoin is an open source software. Anybody can view the code, anybody can see the entire ledger, every transaction that's ever happened.
0: Right. Which helped the FBI on the Colonial Pipeline.
1: Correct honest, provable, decentralized, and you can verify it yourself. Compare that to the fiat system, which is closed, secretive, centralized, entrenched, and primarily to serve the elite. So when we look at you know, these countries, I just think El Salvador is such an excellent example of a case study why would a country adopt Bitcoin as legal tender? Mm. So look at you know, Central and South America, you have countries such as Paraguay, Panama, Honduras, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Brazil, and Argentina signaling support for Bitcoin legislation.
0: Wow, that
1: is big. And that's, that's just that continent. In Africa, you have Nigeria, Tan, uh, Tanzania, other countries signaling support. In Asia Pacific, you know, Tonga. There are... Once the first dominant has already fallen and there's safety in numbers. So once these countries see that El Salvador is still existing and there hasn't been some sort of military coup, maybe they will, you know, do the same thing. They're just the leader. And also in the, in the bigger context, you know, and this is... Your alley too is, I call this the everything bubble. Look at these, look at the valuations in stocks, in bonds, in real estate, in private equity. Where do you turn? You know, is, is gold the answer for a lot of people? Maybe, maybe not. For me, I think Bitcoin is an answer and a place to store your wealth, to store your value and protect it. Um, so- interesting.
0: Yes, and then, then it's also, yeah, I guess it's not for the faint of heart due to the volatility. Mm-hmm. So you have to be long-term yeah. and you have to be comfortable owning it. And certainly, as we said last time, it's not something you invest your entire net worth in, but it Correct. is a way to diversify your, yourself a bit from those uh, you know inflationary type assets or deflationary assets like mm-hmm. the dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was that's good. Now, why don't we talk a little bit about what's happening with the energy sector in Chinese. And the Chinese were, are banning... Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that they had built a bunch of uh, power plants in areas to help grow the economy and you know build manufacturing capacity. Um, and I can't remember exactly what the provinces were, but I know Mongolia was one. However, a lot of those plants, and I verified this with actual, uh, with people uh, who are in the industry, um, are, are actually coal-fired plants. Mm-hmm. They're not clean. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only was it causing an environmental issue there, but that magnifies um, the issue for Bitcoin being a non-friendly, not being a friendly due to the energy it takes to mine um, and the carbon emissions. But then I think Tesla came out, as Musk said, as long as you have at least 50% of your source in mining in Bitcoin from clean sources, then we'll re you. And I think you had brought up that they are near or at 50% as it stands now. Yep. Now that they shut down those Chinese miners Um, And I hear mining could be very profitable. Um, Those servers were being sold for pennies in the dollar, very powerful servers. And I I, I was told that um, somebody had bought those servers. It was a story that, and he was making like, you know, like three to 500 bucks a week mining Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I want you to shed some light on that.
1: Yeah, so um, China, they did, they are enforcing the miner ban. For the first time, they're actually enforcing it. So this is bad for Bitcoins, the hash rate, the amount of, you know, energy securing the network and the network security. Right, in the short run. In the short run. Long run, this is great for the narrative of Bitcoin because historically there was an attack vector that, oh, there's too much mining in China. The Chinese government could take over the miners and launch, you know, an attack on Bitcoin. Well, that attack vector, that goes away. We're seeing all those miners because they're not just going to leave them idle. Okay, they're shipping them around the world. They're going to Europe, they're going to South America, and most of them are coming to the U.S. So, and you have you know states in the U.S. Texas, Tennessee, Ohio that are open arms, saying we want Bitcoin mining to be in our state. Mm-hmm. They're incentivizing that. So, you know how how does this work out for China? You know I think that this could end up being a huge geopolitical mistake for them I think that it's so valuable to have such a significant portion of the miners in your own country just like holding Bitcoin, like 60% of Bitcoin is held by Americans estimated, you know, so I would want if I am pro-Bitcoin you would want the miners and the holders in your own country.
0: Right, well so let's talk about the digital yuan though Um, I don't really think that competes with Bitcoin now, this is, you may have the similar, I don't know what your views are, but i was said, oh, well, the government's gonna c- come out with their own digital currency. But the problem is, is so what? The government can print unlimited currency, and just because it's in digital format doesn't mean it's gonna be any different that unless it's decentralized from the government, which we both know isn't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, unless they have to reissue it to the point where, like Argentina, our dollars are worthless and I have to, you know, figure out how to go bankrupt themselves and and redo it and get bailed out. But, you know, what good is a digital currency if the same government can print unlimited dollars versus Bitcoin, who can't?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's the same thing. You can't put lipstick on a pig. Right, exactly. It's the same. At the end of the day, it's money.
0: Nor can you shame a pig.
1: (laughs) True. (laughs) This is still, you know, government money. They have a monopoly on money. This is just a different it's like going from coins to paper money. It right. doesn't change the fact that it's controlled and operated by the government. Yeah. And makes good we, sense. you know, we call these surveillance coins cuz obviously they can see every transaction that you're doing. If they if you have a bad social credit score in China, well, now you can't buy certain things. Now or uh, the value of the currency, we can program it so it goes down in value to incentivize you to spend. Wow so you know this is just an an opportunity that's for very scary it very and it's just making a centralized system more centralized which is very scary bitcoin is the complete opposite this the value proposition of bitcoin is that it's a decentralized it's not controlled by governments it's controlled by math and its users so to me that's you know th- they are very different um so just back on china you know a lot of the the power plants you're talking about, a lot of the Chinese miners in, in Bitcoin, they were using stranded energy. So hydroelectric, China's built significantly increased hydroelectric, so dams and water. That's where a lot of the miners were. Okay. They were also using coal-fired plants. Right. And, you know, so so similar to these ghost towns that you have in China where they built a town for 30 million people and there's zero people living in it. This is just, they built all this stuff, they have all this capacity, and now, when you ban Bitcoin mining, mm-hmm. it just, these assets continue to go unused. It's stranded. Right, it's a stranded asset. It's a stranded asset. They've stranded cities, stranded energy assets. And stranded costs, that's interesting. Um, so, that's what, uh, that's what happened when they uh, deregulated
0: the uh, utility company. Mm-hmm. The utilities had to get rid of all their generating assets, in order, and then they gave a monopoly on on the wires and the transmission.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, but then they had what's called a stranded cost or stranded asset when they had to get rid of their generating assets, and a third party had to come in and buy those assets. But while they were sitting on the balance sheet, they were worthless to the utility company, so they get to write they have to write it down, which is mm-hmm. I don't know, it doesn't sound like deregulation to me, but it's what they, they call it. <laughs> anyway, keep going. This is very, very interesting.
1: Yeah, so back to you know, the, the, the energy topic, which obviously has been um, a large attack vector, primarily from the legacy or mainstream media on Bitcoin. We're seeing the mainstream economists, mainstream whatever, attacking Bitcoin's energy usage. Now, I just want to frame this real quick. Bitcoin requires energy to operate, and unless you understand why we need Bitcoin, any amount of energy that the Bitcoin network uses mm-hmm. will be a waste to you. Right. If you, don't, if you think that there's no point in Bitcoin, any energy, doesn't matter how much, will be a waste in your perspective.
0: Right.
1: Me personally, I do not think that it's a waste to provide open, sound, uncorruptible money to 8 billion people across the world who have been living under this fiat debt slavery system nightmare right. for the last 100 plus years. And Bitcoin creates, you know, it converts a real world asset, which is energy, into a digital asset, Bitcoin. So this is freedom money, you know, and it separates the state from money. So with energy usage, Global annual energy production is 160,000 terawatts. So, in so the that's entire the,
0: the, Right. So a megawatt is right, one megawatt. Your are average, what, power plants are 350 megawatts, 500, maybe bigger, 750. Yeah. yeah. They, they have different. And then a solar farm would be, you know, 30, 40, 50 megawatts, depending mm-hmm. on how big it is. Mm-hmm. So you're saying there's terawatts are the Terawats. mega The next one up is tera,
1: correct? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So 160,000 terawatts of that, 30 to 40% of that is stranded. That means that we produce 160,000 terawatts and, you know, 40, 50,000 of that goes unused. It gets produced. You can't store electricity unless you have the battery technology which we're developing. Yeah, so it I gets,
0: didn't even know that. I, I didn't even think about that.
1: Yes, so and there's a lot of waste.
0: There's a lot of waste in the system because it's old. There's too. a lot of. Well, think about the heat. The heat alone from the wires. Think about that's lost. Right.
1: I mean, there's. Think about a hydroelectric dam. If the demand for its energy, if it's producing a hundred and it's only selling fifty to consumers, that other fifty is stranded energy.
0: Right. Then that's like a parasitic load on the on the on the system. Interesting. Yeah,
1: so wow. hundred sixty thousand terawatts the Bitcoin network It uses hundred ninety terawatts one nine zero out of hundred sixty thousand so we're talking about point one percent or one tenth of one percent So I personally find it disingenuous when people talk about bitcoins energy usage and they leave out the other 99.9% from from the conversation. I think that
0: well, yeah, because ultimately, once it becomes a political football, the truth no longer matters. It's all about narrative, the narrative and the agenda of the people trying to fight something. And typically, they use that as the reason, but the real reason is more monetary <laughs> than it is, um, you know, factual.
1: I mean, the the system. Look at the government, the monetary layer, all the corporations and companies that are reliant on the fiat system that's where they derive their power from they have an incentive to protect that system and attack anything that is a threat to it
0: sure yeah and that's that's why disruption and technology is the best disruptor of anything you know and and, uh it's a it's a good it's a good kind of disruption so i think that's exciting and uh you know hopefully it keeps our governments accountable because now they have competition something they don't like and Going back to Baltimore's school system when we talked about failed system, mm. uh, when there were Catholic schools or other types of schools or school, you know, if we had school choice, um, there would be competition for those students. And I think the, it would uh, uplift the entire system and not allow a system to get so poor that it fails, you know?
1: It's another monopoly which has failed its job. Right. What? There are very few cases where a monopoly does a better job than thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of individuals making individual decisions, sure. using price as the information and creating this hyper-intelligent network which we call the free market. That's what capitalism is. It's the, it's the combined processing power of all of our brains put together and we use price as the signal to impact yeah. our decisions. Right,
0: just, just ask your cable company. Again, mm-hmm. I get it. Right?
1: All right. So, um, you know, just just back on on energy, you talked about Elon Musk and, you know, the 50%. So recently there was a report that came out by the Bitcoin Mining Council, which is a new, um, called an industry lobbying or affinity group, that they went out to all the miners and they came back with these stats that 56% of Bitcoin miners globally are using renewable energy. So 56 percent of Bitcoin miners using renewable energy globally, in North America, that's, that number is 68 percent. So almost 70 percent of Bitcoin mining in, in North America is driven by renewable energy.
0: So if anything, it will it'll help uh, drive more renewable energy.
1: It incentivizes the production of low-cost renewable energy sources, where you know you have access to the cheapest form of electricity and that's usually renewable energy in remote areas. These stranded energy assets, this hydroelectric plant, the solar farm in the middle of nowhere that they can't transport that energy. You could put a Bitcoin miner right there and use that extra energy. Um, So 68% North America, the US energy grid now is 13% renewable. In China, it's 12%. In France, it's 13%, Germany's 14% and Japan is six. Bitcoin's 68 in North America. So I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we can like use these objective facts to help dispel this narrative that Bitcoin is, a, is this enormous wasting energy. Right. And, and all it takes is a little bit of education, which thankfully you're providing. Right. And we talk about global emissions. Uh, this report just came out yesterday or two days ago. 52% of the world's urban greenhouse gas emissions come from just 25 cities. So 52% from 25 cities. 23 of them are located in China. Wow. The other two were Tokyo and Moscow. Okay, so, and the Paris Climate Accords, if you agree with that, China's not required to reduce emissions because they're a developing country, quote-unquote, Yeah. right? So they're the largest emitter, top 23 25 cities around the world and okay, so they just shut down Bitcoin. So in China, they produce 40,000 terawatts of electricity they shut down 100 what's 100 divided by 40,000 of rounding error, right? Right. So this is all marketing PR, propaganda, whatever you want to call it, it has nothing to do with actually addressing any energy issues. Um, They're also, you know, countries around the world. Look at Germany. They shut down their, their nuclear power plants across the country. What happened? Well, they started going back to coal-fired plants. Their energy costs tripled and their emissions significantly increased. Yeah. So if we actually want to talk energy, we want to talk environment, fine. I'm here for that. I'm, I support clean water, clean air. But don't be disingenuous about it you know
0: exactly yeah and then you know we could (coughs) nuclear has always been you know scary to a lot of people but it is the lowest cost um, producer of energy by far you know it's like three cents or three and a half cents a kilowatt Mm -hmm. that they can produce and and, um, but again everyone wants to shut it down the other problem that we have in the country is not in my backyard Mm -hmm. so no one wants a power plant anywhere near their home so now you have a problem there mm-hmm. and then when you don't have enough power generation and we're trying to we want to charge our cars just like you know we've all seen the headline, or most of us that you know you couldn't um if every car was electric we would not have the capacity to charge them all so it's kind of interesting how how you know mm-hmm. there's a lot of um we have a lot of work to do but hopefully yes. economics will be the driver uh of that change which mm-hmm. it
1: always is mm-hmm. so. yeah i mean just thinking about renewables too i think Again, I th- just think we need to be truthful about this entire space. And when you think about renewables, there are downsides of them too. One, they're you know, primarily produced in China under slave labor conditions. That's a human rights issue, if you take issue with that. Uh, the energy intensity. How do you produce a windmill? How do you, what energy source are you using to produce the windmill? Right. It's carbon. Right. It's fossil fuels to produce windmills. What powers a Tesla? How is that power produced? That electricity is generated primarily by fossil fuels. When the solar farm, when the windmill is done, you can't recycle that, you can't disassemble it right. because it's now toxic waste. That goes into the dump, the landfills. And one thing I just wanted to show you, Mark, everyone can't see, but if everyone if you just Google what a lithium mining pit looks like. Wow. So these, you know, lithium batteries. This is a rare like earth a strip? mineral. Is that a,
0: so? It's called strip mining. Yes. Yeah, strip mining is not very good for the eco- environment either. Yeah. From what I was told. That's <laughs> interesting.
1: Wow. You're removing the earth. Right. Bitcoin mining does not remove the earth. So, um, you know, and so energy has always been the argument that the legacy analog system has used to try and prevent their newer digital competitors from, you know, from being successful. So, for example, the U.S. Postal Service, when email came out, they claimed that email used too much electricity.
0: Right. That's a good point. I
1: remember that. And they tried to get a law passed which would put a tax on every email you sent called a, a stamp tax. Luckily, they, you know, that never happened, and we have email.
0: Uh, and that right? didn't work out very well for the British either.
1: No. Um, elevators, when they switched from mechanically operated elevators to electric elevators, they said, that would use too much electricity. We can't do that. And look at the horse and buggy operators right. when the car came out. It uses too much electricity. This is the same argument, yeah. just repurposed and repackaged to attack Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, that brings up, that, that is actually very good. There's a very true and, and straightforward parallels
1: mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, to why we uh, can't really, but we need to ignore that, ignore the naysayers, mm-hmm. you know, just like the former CEO of IBM saying that, the, you know, PC will never, you know, the, the personal computer will never be a thing or never take off. Famous last words of uh, people who were incredibly wrong.
1: One of my favorites is uh, Paul Krugman of the New York Times. Famed economist yeah. uh, who said MIT that that the internet was going to be just a fad. Yeah, I'm wrong about that. I'm really yeah. wrong about that. You're
0: you right. Know? If you want, so, if you want a wrong answer, ask an economist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from coming from an economics major, I right. right. noticed yeah. that we're never right.
1: So right. Um, so to, any other anything else on energy? You know, we could no. I, we think, shift to another topic. I
0: think we've covered it. Yeah, okay. great. tremendous.
1: Great, tremendous Thank job. You. Thank you. Um, you know, I just wanted to, t- I'll touch quickly on some of the other stuff going on in the Bitcoin space, but June, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the biggest, it was Bitcoin 2021 conference down in Miami. Oh. Biggest Bitcoin event in history with over 12,000 attendees. Speakers included, uh, Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami, Jack Dorsey, Floyd Mayweather, Michael Saylor, Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, the Winklevoss twins. And a couple big announcements, first one being that El Salvador would adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. That's huge. Uh, the mayor of Miami, another announcement, the mayor of Miami, he wants to make Miami the Bitcoin and crypto capital of the world. So he said that they're going to give their workers the option to be paid in Bitcoin. They're going to start accepting city tax payments in Bitcoin, and they're investing some of the city's reserve you know, treasury in Bitcoin as well. So they're, you know, he's putting his money where his mouth is. Uh, and then, you know, also Square, a company owned by Jack Dorsey, um, they are launching a hardware wallet for Bitcoin. So they're fo- focusing on yeah, Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, I saw that. Now, just for those uh, who don't know who Jack Dorsey is, he's the guy who shut down Donald Trump. <laughs> and he's the owner of, he's the founder of Twitter, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know. Yep. And uh, he's also the founder of Square, so uh, yep. he's not a fan. He's not a fan of Trump, but uh, um, also... Um, it's also known, well known that he's a, very close with the Chinese government, trying to penetrate their market mm-hmm. um, with in a lot of different avenues, and uh, so it's quite interesting. Again, where you, people's motives typically tend to tend to drive their uh, their decisions, so mm-hmm. to speak. We'll leave it at that. Yes. So anyway.
1: Yeah, I, you know, also just the, the new products, new companies, new developments uh, being launched in the Bitcoin space. There's a ton of exciting stuff, just wanted to touch on a couple of them. Sure. First being LN Strike, uh, run by Jack Mahler's, the company I, I mentioned earlier that was working in tandem with the El Salvadorian government. They're, prov- they're revolutionizing foreign currency exchange. So right now, if I wanna exchange US dollars to British pounds, it's a process it's expensive it takes time it's inefficient etc what they're doing is they're using Bitcoin and the Lightning Network so if I want to go from US dollars to pounds they uh, via the network it goes from US dollars to Bitcoin it gets zapped across the world to London or wherever in England converts Bitcoin back to British pounds at that exchange rate and it's essentially an instantaneous, basically free transaction to exchange currencies, at fiat currencies as well.
0: So, Interesting. So yeah, I, I was unaware of that, uh, you know. I was unaware that they were uh, working, that's, that's, that should also speed up uh, the, the ability for us to do commerce.
1: Correct, correct. And that's across the world. Anybody in the world can download a Bitcoin wallet, a lightning, a Bitcoin lightning wallet. Anybody can access this monetary system. You know, it's not closed. Um, Speaking of open, a company called Sphinx Chat, it's a new social media network.
0: Oh yeah, I was just reading about them yesterday. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna be doing video um, on Mm -hmm. the blockchain, so to speak, or?
1: So Sphinx Chat operates, it's powered by the Bitcoin lightning network. And that's how people send messages, send media content, etc. It's powered by the Lightning Network and the nodes, so you can't—they can't be censored by Twitter. They can't have Amazon AWS pull their servers like they did with Parler. Remember that coordinated attack after you yeah. know on Parler. Right. Yeah,
0: I do remember that. Yeah.
1: So. They're developing more resilient anti-fragile systems to compete against these legacy systems, right? Which are highly centralized, fragile, corrupt, etc. cetera. Um, we have decentralized peer-to-peer lending markets that have been developing over the last couple of years, and there are real yields. In a world where there, are no, there is no yield, Bitcoin offers real yields. That incentive alone will bring capital into the space because capital chases yield. Right. So they're, they're professionalizing this whole market. Um, and then also, you know, there's Bitcoin rewards. So Bitcoin's getting spread to millions of people via debit cards, which have come out. I have this fold card, which you can see. I swipe it. I can get half a percent, one, two, 10% back in Bitcoin. Wow. Via debit card credit cards that are launching with 2%, 3% back in Bitcoin.
0: Right, so it's a cash reward, it's a Bitcoin
1: reward. Correct. That's cool. Correct. So that just further increases the distribution of Bitcoin across millions of people.
0: And hopefully increases the wealth of the people who don't typically have the ability to uh, save or invest
1: their money. Would you rather have airline miles or Bitcoin? What do you think is going to be worth more in five years?
0: Right, probably Bitcoin.
1: Probably Bitcoin. So, you know, the system continues to upgrade. The thing about Bitcoin is it's programmable money. It has a lot of advantages versus the fiat system because it's digital. In 2017, 2018, we had this update called Segregated Witness or SegWit. There's another update that went along with that. And recently the network approved Taproot and Schnorr signatures, which I'm not gonna get into the technicals of, but the point is that these are all advancements in the technology and the base layer. Below.
0: This is Bitcoin alone or Bitcoin Ethereum only. as well or just Bitcoin? Bitcoin only. Correct. Okay. So yeah. they, there are developers out there, software developers, mm-hmm. no different than any other platform. Let's say if I was Microsoft or Apple, yep. I have to develop for Apple. I can develop for Facebook. I can yep. develop for... This is the same thing. Correct. So it's, op- it's almost like an open source system that's constantly, hopefully over time, being improved over time yes. by programmers. To yes. make it better. Yes. Just
1: really and, it, and there's a whole fascinating meca- there's a this is a new governance model too. I mean, there are proposals, it's a BIP, a Bitcoin improvement proposal. Someone, a developer, constituent, someone will say, I want to make this change or advancement, you know, technological upgrade to the Bitcoin network. That gets put out to the network for a vote.
0: Interesting, right, and they challenge it. So it's almost like a scientific. the scientific community yes. will challenge your, your study, your white paper. And it only makes you better. No one has all the answers. Um, and you know, you see, for example, uh, what the vaccines were untested, mm-hmm. but then you'll see somebody writes an opinion piece, an academic paper, and they have to disclose whether or not that has actually been challenged or been vetted by the academic community, the experts in that field. And I just read an article the other day they were saying um you know there were the legislation was trying to push this one opinion and i won't get into this and but it said that their paper was never uh been uh, peer reviewed mm. so without a peer review you're mm-hmm. not going to get the right answers you're not going to get the best answers mm-hmm. you only have the opinion of one person yes. so that's 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 very powerful as well that's very democratic as well
1: yeah and i'd say that the bitcoin blockchain is methodical they we want Bitcoin to be as simple as possible. The actual base chain itself. We want it to verify that there's 21 million Bitcoin. We want it to send and receive value. Right. And that's really it. You know, like everything else you can do on top of that, but the more you build, the more complexity you build into the base system, the more opportunities for errors, for things to go wrong, Right. You know? So they're keeping the Bitcoin chain as uh, clean as possible and then building on top of that, whereas other cryptocurrencies such as Ethereum are trying to build more of the functionality into the base chain itself instead of building on top of that. I see. So th- that's kind of another you know, fundamental difference. Sure. Yeah, they're going
0: to be competing for quite some time. So. Yeah. But hey, competition is what makes things better, just like we talked about peer reviews without competition there's no incentive to get better. Yes. You know. Which is could. Wow, it's exciting. Um,
1: So yeah, I think, you know one just talk about the the state of the market, you know, the price. Yeah, has why, don't been we, down. why don't we do?
0: We can do a recap of. Uh, let's do a recap because we did cover a lot of information, and yeah. we appreciate uh, you did a tremendous job putting this together. Yeah, we're not
1: going to get through everything. I okay. wouldn't.
0: Uh, I wouldn't let this loose. Somebody might use it as their dissertation <laughs> for their uh, college uh, college uh, exit. So you did a really very valuable information. Um, yeah, so let's take a let's take a look at the state of the market. One of the things I wanted to bring mm-hmm. up was uh, when a company goes public. The original investors of that IPO, the people that are vetted, whether it's the first round, second round, 10th round of capital uh, investments, hopefully at higher valuations along the way, prior to a company going public, want to cash out of their investment. So they have this thing called the lockup period to where you must hold that investment for a certain period of time. And I I just read news that um, there is a lockup period on what's called the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, Mm -hmm. which I personally own, by the way, full disclosure. Mm Um, I own it through Bitcoin Trust um, due to the fact it's in a retirement account. And uh, I had no other real way of figuring it out. And I just wanted to take, you know, glad I did what I did. But um, now because the uh, there's a lockup period, meaning that is going to be coming off of, out of lockup. And there's speculation that there will, people will want to liquidate their investment. Um, and that is putting pressure on the price of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So... That's one of the things going on. What was uh, I know there was a couple other things in the news more recently that uh, have been affecting or putting pressure on the price.
1: Yeah, I mean I think the energy narrative, the Elon Musk narrative, China narrative, I think that those are, you know, the attacks on Bitcoin. And there's always constantly attacks on Bitcoin. These are just yeah. The you know the one, I like these attacks du jour.
0: Tesla's been attacked Relentlessly, and look what that stock has done. Look at, you know.
1: It makes it stronger though. If you, what doesn't kill you make, makes you stronger. So every time they attack Bitcoin and they don't kill it, it becomes stronger. And it's When you come I'm, at the king, you best not miss.
0: Right. That's a good point. Right? <laughs> I like that saying.
1: Right. So, yeah. you know, what we're seeing now um, as the price, you know, shot up to 60, 65K. We're down now in the, in the 30s, right? That we had a short run up, now we're consolidating in the 30s. And what we're seeing, and this is on chain metrics, the comp- last two years, new um, abilities to analyze de- the data of the Bitcoin blockchain. You can see, like, if I own a Bitcoin that I bought five years ago, and you have a Bitcoin that you bought one month ago, I have an old coin, you have a young coin. What we've seen over the last couple of weeks and months is that the young coins, so coins that are less than six months old, those are the ones that are being sold. The old coins or the illiquid coins, not liquid, those are the ones that they're not being sold and the owners of those addresses like myself have been accumulating. So your short-term holders, the newer holders, are selling older holders are accumulating.
0: So these are like Robin Hooders, do you think, or people who are
1: traders, new coin, you know, yeah. people who are new and they they see Bitcoin and it drops from, they buy at 60, it drops to 40, and they panic and sell. Oh, well, right. you know, that happens all the time. But when I see Bitcoin down 40, 50%, that's an excellent buying opportunity. If I like it at 50,000, I love it at 30. Right. Right. So it's, it's an accumulation opportunity. They don't come that often in a bull market like this. Um, and so a lot of that leverage, which was in the market was wiped out, right. which is good because now you know, it's not as frothy, not as much uh, leverage in the system, so that's good. And so really right now, it's just a fight between the bulls and the bears. Um, we're not, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think you know, short-term anything could happen, long-term I'm extremely bullish on Bitcoin. Yeah, and Now do you expect any
0: big news to be coming out that might uh, get investors more e- eagerly uh, interested in Bitcoin or is there any catalyst in the short run do you think might uh, be um, available or why you know or do you think just because of the virtue of its lower price that uh, you'll see people because I'm getting people uh, now I have a few clients that say you know what let's get let's get into Bitcoin
1: because mm-hmm.
0: I think it's going higher mm-hmm And I can't, they can't be the only ones thinking that. So it's, Yeah. I I think the institutional investors, older investors, people who were raised on, and I was brought up the same way. Uh, I was raised on valuation. Valuation is key, right? You have to buy a stock cheap and sell it high. Buy low, sell high. Mm -hmm. Buy value. Ben Graham, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The intelligent Mm -hmm. investor. Uh, and, And that there is a case for value stocks. It's also a case for growth stocks. And for those value investors only, you can't be value only, you have to be everything. Mm-hmm. Everything has a different way to, to, to be valued. Um, you know, I mean, back in the, uh, you know, go-go 90s, it was, okay, number of eyeballs. You know, they came up with some way of, uh, you know, how to, how to value uh, internet companies and how many people are watching, you know, going to the AOL website. You know, mm-hmm. AOL was an incredibly, incredible stock if you had, had gotten into it before they merged with Time Warner. Um, Dell computer, Dell traded at 50 times earnings for I can't tell you how long. It was a best performing stock, one of the best of all time. Um, you know, split multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see. You know, people will always bash the valuation, but there's a reason why everyone still wants to own it. Yeah. Um, you know. So I'm I'm looking at Bitcoin as possibly the same thing. I think it's in the early stages of a very long-term potential bull market for that asset class. Um,
1: I think it's we're looking at the internet in 94 or 95 right i think that that's a fair analogy know,
0: the yeah. adoption rates aren't there yet but the early adopters are in there mm-hmm. and now we have the second wave mm-hmm. coming in and slowly but surely more and more people will be adopters you know i uh, pay well most of my transactions i can't tell you how many times i, I have not used my debit card for only buying gasoline mm-hmm. i've been tapping my phone everywhere i go Mm-hmm. And I just, it's so much easier. I put my fingerprint on, pay, put my pin in, I don't have to get my wallet, pull out the card, stuck in my wallet, drop the card on the floor, put it in the machine, wait for the machine to work, or the chip isn't working, try it again. None of that, it's mm-hmm. much faster. And
1: uh, Bitcoin works the same way. Yeah. Right, it's not something, for most people, it's accessible via a $50 smartphone. Yeah. You know, exactly. It's, everyone doesn't need to run a miner or run a full node, or you know, whatever. Like most people will just have a wallet on their phone, and they can instantaneously pay for stuff at the store. Yeah, that's great, right? Yeah. No.
0: So this has been this has been tremendous. Um, again, what a just an amazing amount of information we are able to squeeze into about an hour. So thankfully, uh, we started. We're about coming up in the hour. So, uh, Steve, why don't you uh, also, you being that you, uh, I definitely consider you an expert in Bitcoin. What else do you do for work uh, at this time? And then, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about what you do and uh, where you're located and how people could reach you? Sure. Maybe you will uh, be do the first, uh, first, uh, you know, transaction in Bitcoin per se. You know, (laughs) bring your bitcoins to the closing. So, why don't you just give yourself a little plug for? You deserve it for all the hard work you've done. So.
1: Sure. Uh, So, Steve Jordan, I work for William Ravis in real estate. So I work uh, down the road here in Glastonbury, Connecticut. I focus primarily on residential real estate. Uh, I'm fairly new to this. I come from the banking sector, so I'm you know I'm a newer agent, but I would love to help people out. You can give me, a uh, you know, reach out. I'll provide my contact information in the, afterwards to Mark uh, that he can include with the podcast. But any questions on real estate, uh, you know, let me know. And then also in the future, who knows, you know, maybe there are opportunities for me to connect with people uh, in a financial advisory capacity, a crypto or Bitcoin advisory capacity. Well, that's for future topics.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I don't see you uh, being, uh, being, I see you being successful or whatever you you, you were to choose. Um, so I just want to thank everyone for uh, joining us on the podcast. Hopefully you found this to be very informative and again, uh, I do uh, implore you to seek the advice of an ex- expert before making any investment, not just uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, uh, before making, um, in, in find somebody who is trained to determine whether or not that investment is suitable to you. And again, uh, my name is Mark Papa. I am a financial advisor here um, at Financial Resources Group LLC, a registered investment advisor. Uh, we are uh, bound by both uh, the law and ethics to always put our clients' best interests first. So if you do have any questions, um, and I just uh, give you a plug for my next topic, Uh, we kind of ran out of time today, but I'm gonna be talking about the non-financial aspects of your financial plan and why it is so absolutely critical to have uh, these 10 things taken care of and the seven essential documents uh, taken care of for the benefit of you and your family and without them, Um, you know, part of the reason most advisors don't offer this type of service to their clients, and I say most, I'm one of 150 that does, is because we don't get paid for that. Uh, But unfortunately, if you get caught off guard uh, and it costs you and your family money unnecessarily, is that a good thing or a bad thing and what kind of advisor would I be if I didn't cover that? So we're covering Bitcoin as a means to educate you and I'm also gonna start uh, tapping into my 21 point checklist and I will be offering anybody who would come in for the 21-point checklist, at the very least the seven essential documents, I'm going to be offering a, uh, a, a prize to incentivize you to come in and find uh, the benefits that we can discover for you. So thank you again for listening. Again, Steve Jordan, thank you. Thank you, Mark. Um, tremendous job today. And uh, we'll look forward to catching you uh, next week or so on my next podcast. Have a great day. Enjoy your weekend. And thanks for listening. Bye.